Good morning. I'm Jerry Letourneau, and I'm one of the elders here at Community Covenant Church. And whether you're joining us online or in person this morning, we're happy that you would join us, and we welcome you. Uh, <clears throat> we are beginning a new series uh, today, and it's entitled I Am, where each week for the next several weeks, we'll be looking at seven places in John's Gospel where Jesus makes the claim about himself that begins with the words, I am. Before we begin, let's take a moment in prayer. Our Father, uh, we offer our worship to you this morning. You alone are deserving of worship, and we ask that you would meet us where we are and speak to each of us this morning. We pray for the many in our church who find themselves in need, calling out to you in their struggles, and hardship, sickness. We stand with them this morning, Lord, and asking that you would reach down and touch these lives and bring comfort, healing, and peace that is ours in Christ. We ask that you would anoint our time together this morning. Amen. In my uh, preparation for today, I came across a book on my shelf that perhaps more than any other book may actually reflect the actual real depth to which I understand God. It's called Why I Believe in God and Other Reflections by Children. I've owned this book for uh, quite a few years and I think every time I take it off the shelf and dust it off and look through it, I get a laugh. It's uh, writings that were collected from nurse, uh, Sunday schools across the country, ages children 5 to 12, and their thoughts on who God is and various letters to God. I'm just going to read a couple of these profound uh, writings for you. God is very powerful. He made the whole world in six days. It takes me that long to clean my room. Uh... When I grow up, I think God wants me to be a missionary. But what I want to be is someone who works at a cash register. So maybe I'll try to be like a missionary with a cash register. God tells us not to fight with our brothers and sisters because, because he doesn't want anyone to get hurt. Cain and Mabel didn't listen to God, and somebody did get hurt. Mabel. <laughs> Dear God, it rained for our whole vacation. And is my father mad? He said some things about you that people are not supposed to say. But I hope that you will not hurt him anyway. Your friend. But I'm not going to tell you who I am. <laughs> yeah, kids. We listen to these and we kind of get like a laugh from them because it's cute to see how little kids see God through the, the eyes of their immature little worlds. They could never even begin to grasp the magnitude of who God is. They tend to think of God who's someone just slightly better than the adults that they know, kind of like a superhuman. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's not just the kids who struggle with this. Everything that we know about God is limited by our own human, human ability to fully 
comprehend who he is. Now, our I Am series, for those of you who are familiar with your Old Testament, when you see the series titled I Am, your thoughts probably go back to Exodus 3, where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And it was here after 40 years of working for his father-in-law as a shepherd that Moses, who is now 80 years old or so, is told by God to return to Egypt to go to Pharaoh and to demand that he release the Israelites from captivity. So Moses, doubting himself, says to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring the people out of Egypt? And God says to him, I will be with you. But Moses pushes him again. But if they ask, who is it that sent me? What is his name? What shall I tell them? God said, I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent me to you. So when he was asked, God told Moses that his name was, I am who I am. And this seems odd to us. It's not very obvious for us what's going on here. But Old Testament scholars helped us shine a little bit of light on this for us. They tell us that Moses asking God, what is your name, was a way of saying, who are you? That God's name kind of expressed his nature and his character. If this is the case, then what does the name I am who I am tell us about God? They say that the exact Hebrew meaning is difficult to translate into English. I am who I am could maybe more accurately be translated as I will be that I will be. Or perhaps I will exist that I will exist. What the name tells us is that God is eternal and that he is self-existent. If you stop and think about it, Everything that comes into existence has a reason for its existence. I'm here because of my parents. If we look around, everything that you see has an explanation for its existence. Everything that you can think of is dependent on some prior cause for its existence. None of it had to exist. Its very existence is dependent on some other cause. If my parents had never met, I would not be here. My existence is dependent on the fact that my parents met. If they had never met, I would not exist. But God is not dependent on anything. There is no cause for God. He is the only eternally self-existent being who always was and always will be. God cannot not exist. And that's an interesting combination of words, isn't it? God cannot not exist. I am who I am is a declaration of eternal self-existence. And what we'll see over the next several weeks is that Jesus uses the words I am seven times in John's gospel to describe himself. For example, I am the light of the world. I am the vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what we'll come to see is that each of these I am statements, that Jesus is making a claim about himself that he is the eternal, self-existent Son of God that came down from heaven, just as was spoken of in the Old Testament. 
We can see this in the very opening verses of John's gospel. In John 1.1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, John is writing to a predominantly Greek audience. Our English Bibles translate the word, use the word word, which is a translation of the Greek word logos, which the readers would have understood to be the rationale or the outward expression of God. And then John, in verse 2, goes on to show that the word or the logos was Jesus. In verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And in 14, the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John opens up his first epistle in much the same way. In 1 John 1 and verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. I love how John emphasizes the fact that he was an eyewitness to this. From these two texts, John is telling us that Jesus was with the Father from all eternity past, and that he, the Word, was himself God. And so, just like the small children who have such a very simple understanding of God, so we too at times have to stretch our minds in an effort to better understand who Jesus is. As the second person of the Trinity, Jesus is God. His existence prior to being born in Bethlehem is from eternity past. His very existence and all of his attributes are without cause. He exists completely in and of himself. All that has ever been created, whether in the material or the immaterial world, was created through him. Jesus is the I am who is. And so it's with this as our background for the upcoming series that we'll spend the next several weeks looking at John's I am passages. And today we'll be looking at John 6, verses 27 to 54, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and I'll be... The text will be from the NIV translation. And so to set the stage for this section, Jesus has just miraculously fed the crowd of 5,000 people with just five small barley loaves and two fish. After this, he withdrew from the crowd and he went to another area along the Sea of Galilee. But the next day, the people went out searching for him again. So Jesus, knowing that they were looking for him because he had fed them, said to them in John 6.27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. They were looking for an earthly food, 
But here and throughout the text that we're going to look at today, Jesus speaks metaphorically to them about food and bread that gives spiritual life. And as he so often does in his teachings, Jesus is going to refocus his hearers from the interests and the concerns of this life to the eternal life and to the things of the kingdom of God. Now the people who searched for him, they knew their Old Testament, and they connected Jesus miraculously feeding the crowd with Moses in the Exodus account of God providing bread or manna each morning for the people when they were in the Israel, of Israel while they were in the desert. If you're familiar with the story, it's in Exodus 16, Moses has led the people of Israel out of captivity from Egypt, and they're now in the Sinai Desert. They may be two and a half months into their journey, and the Israelites are now starting to complain to Moses about the lack of food and that Egypt was a better place. Some are saying that it would be better if they had died in Egypt. At least there was food there. And why did Moses have to take us out into the desert for us to starve to death? And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And so it was. The people of Israel lived for 40 years in the desert. And in the morning, they would collect bread off the ground that God had provided for them. Now, knowing that Moses had performed this miracle, the people said to Jesus, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. There's a physical hunger that physical food can satisfy, but there's also a spiritual hunger that this world can never satisfy. Their thoughts were focused on the physical bread from heaven that they attributed to Moses. They were looking for like a repeat of the manna from heaven. But Jesus corrects them in verse 32. It wasn't Moses that provided the bread, but God who gives true bread from heaven and then adds, this bread gives life to the world. Not just nourishment until the next meal, but bread that gives life. And then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The manna in the desert came down from heaven and provided day-to-day -day nourishment for the people. But now Jesus is saying, he is the true bread that comes down from heaven. And, and unlike the manna that brought only daily nourishment, he will give life to the world. Look at it in verse 33. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What does he mean by give life to the world? If you remember in Genesis 2, God told Abraham that if he had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he would surely die. This was not simply a physical death, it was a spiritual death. And we see that Adam was thrown out of the garden, but he didn't die of physical death on that day. In fact, Adam 
produced children and went on to live for a long life. But his relationship with God ended that day. By his sin, Adam was separated from God and he became spiritually dead. And that's the case for every person that has ever lived. Because of our sin, we are dead to God. Paul says exactly this in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sins, but God made us alive in Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We're made alive only if we eat this bread. And when we eat physical bread, it enters into our bodies and through a biological process, it provides nourishment and life for us. The food we eat actually becomes a part of us. And in the same way, it's only when we believe in him, when we take in and internalize who he is and what he's done for us, it's only then that we can be made alive. It's only then that we can have this life that Jesus is speaking of. If we skip down a little bit to verse 51 and 53, Jesus says this in a metaphoric language. In 51, he says, This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And in 53, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It's only <clears throat> when we accept his sacrifice on the cross, the shedding of his blood for us, that we're made alive to God. And when we consume this bread from heaven and allow Christ to become the nourishment for our lives, only then are we able to be truly alive and be partakers of a life with God that will go on to eternity. We continue in 41. <clears throat> At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Notice here that the people understood clearly that Jesus was making an extraordinary claim about himself, saying that he had come from heaven. He was claiming to have been with God in heaven prior to his life on this earth. And you can imagine those that were uh, listening, shaking their heads in disbelief, saying, we knew this guy's parents. But Jesus doubles down on this in verse 46, and he says, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. There's something else of interest here. If you look at verse 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. Before receiving Christ, 
we were all spiritually dead in our relationship with God. There's nothing in us that would desire God. And how could there be? Because we were spiritually dead. But God in his goodness does a work in our lives while we're still unbelievers. Like a stirring in our spirit, an inner urging that's calling to us. This is the Father drawing us that Jesus spoke of in verse 44. The writer of Hebrews says, today when you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. If you have a, a sensing of an inner drawing towards God, don't brush it off or fight it off. This is the Spirit of God calling you. He's calling you to come, to become alive and live in an eternal relationship with him. Continue in 48. <clears throat> I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which, what, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh, the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. I want to look again at verses 53 and 54. <clears throat> but what I'd like to do is pull together some of the earlier verses, 29 and 40, and then I want to string together Jesus' thoughts. If you remember, they had asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And in 29, Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. 40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. 53, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This is a summary of the good news of the gospel from the very lips of Jesus. Eternal life with God does not depend on our ability to keep the commandments or to live up to some moral standard in order to please God and then to somehow earn our way into heaven. The work that God requires for us is to believe in the one he sent, Jesus Christ. Again, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. <clears throat> what does it mean to believe in him? It means that I trust that his death on the cross for my sins satisfied the justice of God. He died in my place and paid for my sins so that I could be worthy of eternal life. And his resurrection from the dead is my assurance of that. But it also means that I believe him to be the Lord of my life. He is my Lord, and my desire is to obey him and to please him. He is the bread of life that sustains me in this life and in the life to come. And in 53 and 54, Jesus completes these thoughts. 
those who do not partake of the bread of life and do not partake in his shed blood, they are spiritually dead. But those who do partake of the bread of life have eternal life and will be raised with him when he returns. This is the gospel message. Jesus makes it as straightforward as that. 1 John 5.12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, you, you might be sitting here thinking, I'm a follower of Christ. And this message is really intended for those who have never followed him. But I want to skip down a couple of verses and look at verse 60. Following all of this, and 60 says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Notice that it says disciples. These were not the religious leaders that Jesus always fought and confronted. These were disciples, followers of Jesus. Verse 66 goes on to say that from this time, many of disciples turned back and no longer followed after him because of hard sayings. There are many hard sayings in the Bible, and some will personally challenge us. Some may stand in opposition to what our society or to what our culture allows and normalizes. Or it may be that we just personally disagree with some things that we find in the Bible. In verse 68, it says that Jesus then turned to the twelve and he said, Will you leave me too? To which Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There are many perplexing and sometimes challenging teachings in the Bible. Do we submit to them knowing that God is God? Or do we act as judge over those sections and make our own decisions and hold to our own opinions? My prayer is that we would find ourselves like the 12, putting our trust in him who has the words of eternal life. As I look over these uh, 25 or so verses that we've looked at this morning, few things stand out for me. First, this I am statement and the others that we'll be looking at over the next weeks are used by our Lord to make it clear that he is the eternal, self-existent Son of God that came down from heaven, just as spoken of in the Old Testament. Secondly, it's, it's not enough to know about Christ or just be associated with him, we have to partake of him. We have to eat the bread of life in order to have eternal life. Matthew 7 says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And we've seen this morning what the will of the Father is. It's to believe in the one that he has sent. And lastly, Jesus' call is to come. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We had 
baptisms last week for five individuals who have heard and responded to the call of God to come and partake of the bread of life. Jesus said, whoever comes to me. Maybe you've attended church all of your life but have never really eaten of the bread of life as we've looked at it this morning. Maybe the Lord is asking you this morning to come. If there's never been a specific time in your life where you said to God, I want to go to heaven, I want to be saved, there's not a lot of theology involved. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you've never believed in Jesus, I encourage you that in your own words and in your own private times, to ask God to save you. Ask him to make himself known to you. You can talk to me, you can talk to someone here, perhaps as a Christian friend that you may know, but it's really a personal decision between you and God. He's inviting you to come. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word because it's here that we can begin to know you. I pray that there is, if there is someone here today that's your calling this morning, that they would respond and that you would do a work in their lives. And for those of us who are followers, that we would continue every day to be fed and nourished by you, the bread of life. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name.